Question. Question. You keep saying we're going home. Did we originate in heaven? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, How can you go home if you didn't originate? So, <laughs> it's a new home. <laughs> a new home. New address. Okay, well. But the way you're saying it is like we've been there before and we're going back. Well, we never said back. Well, never said back. So, um, the implication is Mm, well, I, I think that, um, uh, let's put it in this context. So if we're going back home, um, you know, my family uh, and yours are, are all immigrants. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay. okay. And so, where is home? Well, I was born, I was actually born in Orange, California, not Ohio. C-section baby in the hospital. You know. I was born in Orange, <laughs> um, and uh, so is. But I was born there. So is Orange home? No, I've never I lived there. Mm-hmm. So is what do you consider home? Home is where the heart is. Ah, home is where the heart is. That's probably the best biblical response to heaven being our home because home is where your heart is. And Colossians three one says what? Set your hearts on things above. And so, because it's the place above, which heaven is always, which direction in the Bible? Yeah, there's only one time, and we looked at it last week, there's only one time that there is a reference to heaven um, where the word down is used. Which is the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Okay, and we're going to look at that again tonight, actually, because we're going to be taking a look at the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem, and, and what that is. Um... Or what they are. Is it singular or is it plural? But before we go there, um, just uh, for purposes of those that haven't been here, and uh, Richie asked me just to do a quick recap just of the last couple of weeks. So we're going to take like 10 minutes and we're going to look at the Bible references that we've had for the last three weeks. I've condensed them into 20 of the most important, because as you know, our Bible references every week are about 20 or 25 Bible references um, for what we study. And sometimes we get around to them and sometimes we don't. Because we have to hold loosely on to even the teaching uh, because it's not a syllabus. We're not trying to rush through any of this. But in the very beginning, we took a look at this topic of heaven and we were talking about um, the way to get to heaven. And what is that way? Right. Right. By God's through in that's it Ephesians 2 8 so we know who's going to heaven it's very clear biblically who's going to heaven I was watching a Oprah Winfrey and Joel Osteen uh, interview this morning and it was it was fascinating because we know where Oprah Winfrey comes from um, and we, we would like to think and hope that Joel Osteen would be coming from a biblical point of view. But the entire interview was anti-biblical. There was no, there was no biblical um, uh, consideration for the discussion of, of heaven. They were talking about heaven. And so, and who's going to heaven and, you know, where is heaven and, and, and the like. And uh, boy, it got very metaphysical uh, and uh, very disappointing. Just very disappointing. And so, on what basis? Nobody was there to ask the question. On what basis do you do you 
believe uh, what you're espousing? And uh, nobody was there to ask that question. And of course, we, we know, don't we? Because, yeah, we settled the issue. It's, it's a done deal. And so, uh, to the extent that it's a done deal that we've settled the issue that the Bible is the final authority, then it really doesn't matter what we think. Right? It matters what the Bible says. And the Bible says that there is but one true God, there's one way to heaven. Just one. In fact, the Bible says that the road is narrow. And these are challenging things in today's culture because you get labeled when you speak like that. And Jesus said, that's exactly what is going to happen. You will get labeled. And so Jesus himself said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but by him. And so, and where is the Father? Heaven. And that is his dwelling place. Okay? And so that's why we say that heaven is home. Because ultimately, in fact, we're going to see tonight that ultimately when we die, we go to heaven to be absent the body, present the Lord. We go. Our spirit leaves our body and we go. We're going to heaven. Okay? When we die. But then ultimately, that's the present heaven. And then what happens? Heaven changes. We're not going to be in that particular um, condition or state, if you will, place. Because everything is made new. And then when it is made new, we're going to see tonight where God comes to dwell with us. Where God is, that is heaven. And so we're going to see tonight what happens when heaven changes. So a biblical view of heaven, though, is focused on one thing, or actually one person, right? And that would be Jesus. Jesus. And so to the extent that, the, that uh, a biblical view of, center, of, of, of heaven is centered on Jesus, it is important that we understand that, that is, that's the drive. That should be our focus. Often it's not, though. And so we have to be, I think, very careful when we're thinking about heaven. Now, there are many people that I am going to, uh, I've said this before quite publicly, you know, one of, the, one of the first people that I am very much going to be interested in seeing because probably I miss that pers- this person the most of all of my heaven or my earthly relationships is my mother. I'm a mama's boy, and so I miss my mom, and it's going to be awesome to be able to see my mom, and I'll recognize her for who she is, not what she looks like, and that's going to be awesome. But that's almost making an idol out of who's in heaven compared to what the Bible tells us to be thinking of. Set our things, our hearts on things above. It, I hope that we are going to be really excited about being with the Lord. But we have a hard time with that because we've been talking about the fact that right now in this present place um, we are physical beings okay, that are spiritual. And God is going to change that. We are going to be spiritual beings that are and in a spiritual place that is physical. It's a reversal And we have a very difficult time grasping that. And we're going to look at the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem tonight. And we're going to be seeing what God's word says about what this place looks like. And it's hard to imagine. It's very hard to imagine. But even in the believer's life, and especially in the unbeliever's life, 
there's a big obstacle to Colossians 3.1, which is setting our hearts on things above. And we looked at that biblically in Revelation 13.6. It talks about Satan, who consistently is slandering and is a blasphemer. So he slanders and blasphemes God, according to Revelation 13.6. That God and God's name, heaven. So in the spiritual realms, in the spiritual battle that's going on around us, Satan continually is doing what? Accusing us before God. And he is slandering us and our home. And our God. So in the spiritual realms, there is a battle that never ceases. Interesting. We're physical beings that are spiritual. You know, we've never been human without this container, this body. God made us, and then he breathed life into us, and he breathed the spirit into us, and we were made in their image. I've always loved that plurality when I talk to somebody about the Trinity, which is hard to comprehend, right? And so here we are, is we're very physical, okay? But we have the Spirit of God in us as believers, especially. But we have the light. All of us are made in the, in, in the image of God. There isn't a person ever born that wasn't made in the image of God. And God breathed, He knitted us together in our mother's womb. Now, many people think that 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 is a physical act. But that's not what the Bible says. It's a miraculous act. Anybody ever seen a baby born? Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> it's just flat out a miracle. <clears throat> Satan is slandering us moment by moment <clears throat> in the spiritual realms. Anybody having any struggles in life staying focused and being in the Spirit? You have a better understanding when you realize that in the spiritual realms, the enemy and his minions, the demons, are active and alive and they are slandering and blaspheming and we are the target along with God and heaven, according to Revelation 13.6. So, of course, heaven is Christ-centered. Excuse me. (laughs) I couldn't find my Kleenex. Heaven is Christ-centered. True? How do we know that? What? Well, it is written. Okay. (laughs) You guys are full of great answers. (laughs) It is written. Jesus is in heaven. Where in heaven? The right hand of the Father. And he is doing a lot of things there. He's preparing for us. What else is he doing there? Interceding for us. We looked last week at some scripture that that alludes to the fact that when we get to the present heaven, there are many things that we are going to be doing. And it's likely that we will, not likely, we will be serving in heaven. Okay, We will be servants in heaven. 
but not servants in the way that we think in terms of uh, being, you know, maids and, and butlers and, and, and the like. Okay? We will be serving Christ, and he is there in one of his primary tasks as we're sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding on our behalf. But we're going to be there. Who might we be interceding for? Those that are left. Those that we're waiting for, and we'll see that in a minute. So, of course, barring the rapture, there will be a rapture. I was reading something um, just a few weeks ago that said, the rapture is a myth. I don't know what book they're reading, but the book that I read is God Breathed. And it clearly tells us that the rapture will take place. We don't know exactly when, and we have to come to terms with that. But, of course, in our end time study, we were talking about the rapture being, what? Pre-tribulation. Okay? But I could be wrong. But I think that the evidence is strongly supporting a pre-tribulation rapture. And we're going to go directly to heaven when we die. That's 2 Corinthians 5.8. And when we die, we also know that we give up our spirit, right? Because Matthew 27.50, uh, even Jesus said on the cross, what? And my spirit in you. That's right. Gave up his spirit. Okay? So that tells us that Jesus even was physical. He walked and he talked and he ate. He did, he did everything that you and I do. And when he died, he gave up his spirit. Interesting. Don't forget that. So the Bible describes that where we're going is to the, is to the present heaven. And we, we took a great deal of time to look at the fact that there are physical properties to the present heaven. And that's a very controversial subject because a lot of people in churchdom believe that when we die, that we are going to be given these spirit bodies. But nobody can define biblically what a spirit body is. So what is a spirit body? We can't define it. Because the Bible doesn't say anything as such. So the Bible never says that when we die, we are going to have a spirit body. The Bible never says, there's a teaching out there in Christendom that says that, that when we die, our soul goes to sleep, which is clearly anti-biblical. And a lot of people say that when we die, that there will be no physical properties to our body. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when we die, there are tremendous amounts of, of, of evidence, biblically speaking, for the physicality in the present heaven. And we see that when, when uh, the Apostle Paul was caught up, we're going to look at this um, in a little more detail later, but caught up means instantly taken. I like that. So when you look at the, at the original language, caught up doesn't mean um, uh, anything other than caught up, like now. He didn't have to get a ride. Okay? He was <laughs> caught up to the third heaven. And then what he saw there was un, unspeakable. He couldn't, he couldn't articulate it. And so um, that present heaven, we're dealing with whether or not there will be some physical properties to our bodies when we get there. And we discovered that clearly only God knows, but also very clearly there are people in the present heaven that have bodies. Right now. Now we're confronted with the issue, if we care, and I hope we do, as to whether or not we're going to have some physical attributes. 
because we see that there's palm branches and robes and people are talking and they're doing things and there's emotions and there's all kinds of things that are quite physical in heaven. The present heaven. When we get to heaven, we're going to instantly... (laughs) Brenda and I have had this discussion many times and I've, I've loved it because... We're going to instantly recognize each other, but not because of the picture that I have of my mother. When my, when my mother went to be with the Lord, she was 72 years old. She's not 72 years old in the presence of the Lord right now. I don't know how old she is, and no, neither does anybody else. But when I get to heaven, I am going to recognize her for who she is. And she will instantly recognize me for who I am. That's hard to explain. Because that is a supernatural event. And we try to spiritualize these things, and yet the Bible doesn't give us the opportunity to do such. We can't spiritualize something just because we want to try to explain it. We have to be really careful with Scripture in that way. We also took a a look recently uh, at the popularity of these heaven books And we saw that according to Proverbs 34, that's chapter 30, verse 4, and and John 3.13, that nobody dies, goes to heaven, comes back, and then tells about it. Because scripture says that can't happen. Now that's really challenging, and I brought a book from a man that I have flown with. Captain Dale Black, that wrote a book about dying and going to heaven and coming back. And he's a man I respect. I have significant respect for him. But I'm still confronted with what the Bible says. And the Bible says that nobody goes to heaven and comes back to earth, according to Proverbs 34 and John 3.13. Every biblical account of anybody that has gone to heaven has been a vision from God and has not been a journey. Not one journey. It has been a vision of God. A journey after they've died. Didn't you say except Christ? Excuse me? Didn't you say except Christ? That he ascended. Yes. Because that's what John 3.13 says. Jesus is the only one. Brenda. My mother came back and she showed up at the foot of my bed just long enough to let me know she was okay. And maybe that was an angel. I couldn't explain it. She looked just like she did before she left. And, and you know, and it, talk to Doris. Doris is another one that I respect greatly, and she has some stories. And, and, it, and it, I know it was true. I wasn't just dreaming. Mm-hmm. As soon as I sat up to say something, she went back to heaven. And, you know, oftentimes the Bible says that angels, uh, we've done a study on angels, and oftentimes we've entertained angels without even knowing about it. And oftentimes God sends Angels, they, they are, and an angel is a created being. And it and was after two years, after I'd been crying for two years, after she passed yeah. away. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. She wanted me to rest. And we, can't, and we can't discount that. But we also are confronted with the truth of the Bible that says that nobody has died. And see, that's not what you're talking about. What I'm saying is, is that people that have said that they have had a death experience, they were dead. And they went to heaven, and then they came back, 
And most of these people, of course, have written books. That's not what your mother did. If your mother appeared to you, and Doris very publicly has said the same thing, that, uh, that her, her husband, who married my wife and I, um, who is in heaven, has appeared to her in a vision, and she's very clear about what he looked like and about what he sounded like, and, but that's not what we're talking about. What the Bible says is that, that, um, that Brenda, you are not going to, to, you're not going to keel over dead in that chair right now. Go to heaven and then come back in 12 hours and write a book about it. No. Okay, that's not going to happen. Okay? And so we have to be very careful where we get our heaven theology from. Okay? It had better start with scripture. It's too many light years away to do that. It's too many light years <laughs> away. And it is, it, heaven. Heaven can be a long ways away, and we're going to look at that tonight. And we also, lastly, before we dive into the theology of the new heaven and the new earth tonight, we, we, are, we have been confronted with the present heaven and what happens there. And we looked at just three verses in Revelation, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and we gleaned a lot of information about what the present heaven is like. Do you remember what it is? What some of those uh, details are from last week? There's gold streets. There's palm fronds. There's no sea. That's a different verse in Revelation, but that's okay. There's white robes. And we know that there's martyrs there. God, they were crying for avengement, not revenge. Not revenge and justice. So there's a sense that in heaven, they were people just, I mean, martyrs. There's a martyrs that are killed. You know, according to the most recent information that we have, uh, it's estimated that about 150 to 200,000 people are killed for Christ every year somewhere around the world. I mean, just for proclaiming Christ as Lord. And so these people are martyrs. And so, uh, and you don't need, you know, the church doesn't have to decide who's a martyr and who's not a martyr. I was reading very interestingly an article just yesterday, I think, in the paper, and the Catholic Church decided that one of the one of the priests that they had somewhere, I didn't read the whole thing, they had declared him a martyr. And, well, anybody could have done that. If he was a believer in Jesus Christ and he was killed for his faith, he's a martyr. By definition, he's a martyr. These martyrs are there, and they're speaking directly to God. And they're seeing what's going on on the earth. And they know that the, that the time is short, and they're waiting for, you know, God, when are you going to avenge our, our death? And God says, there's a familial relationship, because God says, well, first of all, you got to hang tight, okay? <laughs> it's not time yet, okay? I don't think he used those words. But he says, you know, it's not time yet. He said, when, you're, when the time is right, when your brothers and sisters, he calls them, okay, brothers and sisters in Christ, okay, that, and there is a relationship of the family of God with those that are on earth that are believers and those that have already been taken up to be with the Lord. So those believers that have gone before us in God's eyes and in biblical truth are still our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it will be that way. And Mike, trust me, I'm getting to that marriage question. 
And we will be brothers and sisters in the Lord for an eternity. That's how we will be viewed. It will be a family. Now that seems bizarre because our families are dysfunctional. Haven't met a functional family on earth yet. Mine for sure. And yet when we get to heaven, it will be one functional family under the headship of Christ made perfect. Hard to imagine. It's just hard to imagine. Because I've lived with the reality of sin. I don't, I don't know the difference. I can think about it, but it's a big difference between thinking about it and living it. Okay? Which is why we have Christ as the example. Those martyrs that are in heaven, we also see that they have been speaking to God directly and they can see his character and his attributes. We read about it and it's hard for us to understand God's attributes and his character because we see it through a sin lens. I mean, almost everything that we see in our humanity, we see through the lens of sin. We're messed up, <laughs> according to the Bible. We see that there is work that is going on there in the present heaven. There are tasks that we are assigned to do. And yet the work is nothing like we think of work today. There is never a Monday in heaven where we get up and say, oh, good Lord, it's Monday. No, it's, woohoo, good Lord, it's Monday. You know, I mean, but that, there's a big difference. There's no have-tos in heaven. And that's what we see from these martyrs that are there. There's a sense of time. And then, of course, there is a sense of service. Service to the Lord and serving one another. And so the present heaven is not our home. And yet, how many heavens are there? There's one heaven. It's a big house. It's a very big house. And we're going to look at how big it is tonight. 2 Corinthians 12, 1-4 and John 14, 3 talk about Paul and the unspeakable things that he saw when he was caught up. Means It means, think about this, if we look at the original language I said just a little while ago, that caught up means instantaneously there, essentially. Which means that in the spirit or in his body, he wasn't sure only God knows. He was instantly transported to this place where God revealed to him heaven. And, and he, he couldn't utter the things that were spoken there. Okay? We have to be really clear because the scripture is the things that were spoken there could not be even uttered here. And the reason is because the, the, he didn't have words. No, no words. We're, we're not prepared. We are not geared to understand in our present condition what the conditions are there. We're not. And so we have Revelation 21.1. We're going to turn there. We've looked at the scripture multiple times over the last couple of weeks. And now we're going to look into it, not just look at it. 
Susan has a tablet, so. Not on yet. Oh, see, when you were just flipping pages last week, you would like the first one there. So the tablet is actually slower. Not on. Ah, now see, now there's an organized yeah. Bible study right there. <laughs> he downloads them all in advance. Would you read Revelation, just the first part? Revelation 1? Revelation 21, 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. They had passed away. And so, what is the culmination of God's final redemptive plan? The new heaven and the new earth, where everything is made new. It is not Christ's second coming, as a lot of people would tell you. That is not the culmination of God's redemptive plan. It is a part of God's redemptive plan, and it is a phase of God's redemptive plan, but it is not the culmination of God's redemptive plan. And what is? The new heaven and the new earth. That is ultimately the culmination of God's redemptive plan for his people. And for his opponents, too. Because when we talk about heaven, Mike, I still haven't forgotten the question, we got to talk about hell, too. So when we die, do we go directly to hell? That's a great question. Does hell change? That's a really great question. There might be a little series in there about that one. Because I think we have to deal with hell. Because the reality is, whether, I mean, you can watch Oprah if you want to. Um, I wouldn't be getting a lot of good theological advice from her. <laughs> and quite frankly, unfortunately, it, it, it pains me to say this. And I'm sure that there are people that are, that are, that are, that are believers on Christ in, in that church in Houston. I, in fact, I'm, 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 I would be quite confident of that. But, but the fact is uh, that when Joel Olstein says that, there, that there's one way to God but many ways to Christ, what does that mean? What does that mean? And so what, when, when, when an evangelical pastor teaches on television or from the pulpit anything that doesn't line up with Scripture, I'm sorry, I have to turn it off. Other, other than just maybe studying what they're preaching so that I can perhaps warn others. But um, it's not about the feel-good gospel because I'm telling you there's one way to God, Jesus Christ, because the Bible says so. There's one way to heaven. There's only one way. The road is narrow, and it is not wide. The wide part of the road are those that are going to destruction. And at the final end of things, the final culmination of God's redemptive plan, those that have not put their faith in Christ are going to have to answer. Now, some people reject him out of hand and say, sorry, not interested. And they live their life the way they want to live their life now. And so that's good. They've accepted what they, what they want, what they have chosen. And then there are others that have had to come to terms with Christ as Savior. And so you either love Christ or you don't. And you don't love him instantaneously, do you? It's a process, isn't it? That's what love is. Love isn't how we feel. Because if it was how we feel, and if you ask my wife, does she love me, she would probably say often, not today. <laughs> or she would say, yeah, I love him, I just don't like him very much at the moment. And so, and, but that's, how, that's the human condition, that's where we are, right? 
that sin. So Revelation 21.1 says that, that John saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first, first earth had what? Wow. You don't have to turn there, but there are three scriptures that we looked at last week. Isaiah 65.17 says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. Listen to the, listen to the words. See, I will create... New heavens and a new earth. Heavens are plural. Okay? And a new earth, singular. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. He's talking, of, this is in Isaiah now, talking about the creation of the new heaven and the, the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, And for God's people that will be there, there won't be a remembrance of those things that were former, nor will they come to our mind. See, this is very different than what we were looking at in terms of the experience that we are going to have in the present heaven, where we do remember, and we are there for a reason, and we know why we're there, and we know what happened on earth, and we are concerned about those that are left, and some, maybe all, we're not told, are, have a vision of what's going on in the earth and are so concerned that they are interceding with Christ for those that are on earth, even, even knowing when one comes to repentance because Scripture says that the saints that are in heaven with the angels rejoice. In fact, it says all in heaven rejoice. And who all is in heaven? It, every believer that ever died is in heaven. And the angels, and Jesus, and the Father. It says all in heaven rejoice. When one sinner repents, there's going to be a lot of rejoicing in heaven the way I got it figured. That's a lot of rejoicing. I think it's a rejoiceful place. I think there's a lot of rest there. And the reason there's a lot of rest there is we're told that when we get there to the present heaven, we'll have remembrance, we'll have knowledge of what happened, but we won't have sin. So we're going to view our, our participation in the present heaven very differently than we view our life here because we won't be tarnished with that sin nature but we'll know that it still exists. <clears throat> That's a challenge. Are you saying you will remember the sin that we did too? No. Uh, no, because yeah. Scripture then also says that we will, we will remember, and we're going to look at the Scripture in Revelation in just a bit, that we are, going to, um, we are not going to remember certain things. We'll get there, okay? But we're talking about now the new heavens... And the new earth, and that's what Isaiah is talking about. And in 66.22, Isaiah says this, as the new heavens, pluralized all the time in Isaiah, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. What does the word endure mean? Last. That's good. And... Continue. continue, last, continue. Okay, and so, so God says that 
as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me. New heavens and new earth will endure. So he's not talking about the present heaven. We're going to look at what happens to the present heaven and the present earth in just a minute. It says it will endure. And so will your name, Brenda, because it's written in the Lamb's book of life. Mm-hmm. Your name will endure. Your Peter, will endure. Peter, yeah, it's not going to be taken out. Yeah. It's written in the book. It's, it's indelible yeah, ink. Yeah, Isn't that what they call ink that can't go away? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it won't go away. Okay, it won't go away. Second Peter 3.13, Peter says, But in keeping with his promise, promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, where righteousness dwells. He's not talking about the present heaven. Now that's an interesting theological debate because does righteousness dwell in the present heaven compared to the new heavens and the new earth? Hmm. We really need to take a look. That's a great study because when you take a look at what's happening in the present heaven and there's this knowledge of what's going on on the earth and there's this sense of time and people are passionate and they're excited and they're looking forward to the future heaven that God has described here in his word because we'll be well versed in the word when we're there. And so they're looking forward to these things and yet God's word says that it is in the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness dwells. Because what is right? What is the condition of your righteousness right now while we're on earth? It's covered by Christ. See, God sees us in the righteousness of Christ. So when God looks at you, um, we hear Richie say this all the time. He somehow he weaves this into his messages on a regular basis, doesn't he? So Christ paid the price, and so God sees you right this very moment as totally pleasing, absolutely innocent, and fully righteous. Positionally in Christ, that's how He sees you. As a believer. But when we get to the new heaven and the new earth, he won't see us that way. We will be that way. That's a huge difference. And and if Satan has access to God in this cabin right now, then righteousness can't dwell there anyway. Awesome. Because you see, the present heaven is not a fully righteous place. Now, don't ask me why God designed it that way and why it's that way. I don't, I don't certainly know. I don't know, uh, nor have I read or talked to anybody that does know. But this is God in his sovereignty has allowed Satan to have direct access to him, even in the present heaven. He hasn't been booted out yet. We know that that's his, his destiny, right? We know he's going to get booted out. And he knows that too, by the way, which is why he's working at a feverish pitch uh, in this place. He hates it that we're here. Absolutely hates it. <coughs> and yet, we see that righteousness dwells in the new heavens and the new earth. And of course, the opposite of righteousness is wickedness. I always like to look at what the opposite of a word is. So, 
if righteousness is going to dwell in the new heavens and the new earth, what can't be there? Wickedness. Sin. There is no sin. There is no wickedness. So is the new heaven and the new earth? Is that new heavens and the new earth? Is that one place? Or are they distinct? And separate? Let me back up. Is the heaven and earth distinct and separate or one today? <coughs> separate. And, and how we know that how? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Because we're here and, and, and Jesus is there. Okay? We're separate. Okay? Back to the question. Are the new heavens and the new earth distinct and separate? Or are they otherwise? Well, if the English translation is correct, they are separate. There are two different ones. A new heaven and a new earth. Mm. <laughs> I have one for separate. <laughs> and how, how might you think about it? Well, uh, our galaxy or our solar system is one with the Milky Way which is one with the whole universe. So in that respect, it's one. Mm. Heaven and, heavens and the earth will be together in one existence. Okay. That's from an astro... I, <laughs> I can't even say that word. Astrophysiological point of view? Is that it's from when he's looking from his, his planet. Yeah, from your planet. Oh, but I mean, there, that makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, but now we're talking about... Dwayne, didn't you read Revelation 21.1 that said, Then I saw a new heaven. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. Now, we were looking in Isaiah, and heaven was pluralized. But in Revelation 21, Remember, because we have the past, which is Genesis 1 and 2, the present, which is from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, and the future, which is Revelation 21 and 22. And right there at the beginning of the future, it says in Revelation 21, 1, that John saw what? A. A. Singular. New heaven. And what else? A singular new earth. Hmm. Now we're confronted with trying to interpret what the writer of these various books of the Bible is trying to communicate through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we not? Okay. Well, that's the next question that we're going to get to. What happened to the old one? But before we get there, we're confronted with whether or not heaven and earth in the new heaven and the new earth are 
joined or are they separate as we... I think they're joined. You think they're joined? Because in verse 2 it says the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And if God dwells Mm -hmm. there. Oh, well let's continue. Let's look at Ephesians Mm -hmm. 1, 9 and 10. Heaven and earth are very much separated right now. Amen? Mm -hmm. Revelation 21.1 says that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. Did you tap it on, Susan? Did you read it? And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even Christ could you read that last part one more time so, to bring in, yeah, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head under even Christ. Hmm. That's interesting. All things are to be united under the head. How many things? Okay. Because the context here in Ephesians is we're talking about the future. Yes? And in the future, all things are going to be united. All things. Now, to be theologically correct. Not everything has been created by God. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> the only thing not created is God himself, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I love you guys. God is not <laughs> created. So that means that all is all. And the new heaven and the new earth that are created because the old heaven and the old earth that passed away are going to be brought under the headship of Christ and united. Now, do we spiritualize that? Or is that a literal thing? Diana says literal, but she's whispering. <laughs> it's talking about God bringing everything into fulfillment of what He originally wanted. Hmm. Put it this way, it's going to happen. Definitely going to happen. <laughs> but the question is, is this literal or figurative? Or do we just attempt to spiritualize it? Or Oprahize it? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't have a problem with Oprah, just her theology. That's all. It's quite literal because the old earth is going to be renewed and God is going to come to live with us. Because remember, in the first heaven, the present heaven, not the first heaven, the present heaven, we die and we go. We go. Absent the body, present with the Lord. It's really interesting. In the newness of things, when there is a new heaven and a new earth, they are co-joined 
that's awesome. I want to go back to what Scotty was saying because that's big, isn't it, Scotty? Because we're talking about the universe here, aren't we? Heavens. Heavens means what? Yeah, the universe that mankind has never been able and will never be able to figure out. And when we get to heaven, by the way, we're not going to be able to figure it out either. That's not going to be revealed to us, I am convinced. We are not instantaneously going to go to heaven and go bing and have it all in our head. It's not going to happen. We're not going to experience it all. There is going to be an eternity of discovery. Okay? Jordan, there will be new forms of skydiving. <laughs> he's all excited because in, in four weeks he's going to jump out of an airplane for the first time. With or without a parachute. I hope he has a <laughs> Dude, I don't care. I'm just going to be flying. So uh, I, what did I say in the email? Once you get out the door, dude, it's on you. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Good to the last drop. Good to the last drop. Turn to Revelation 21.3. <laughs> And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Are you going to be on the new earth when it is, when it is uh, created? And where is God going to be? With men. And so that means that what? God dwells with men on earth. The new heaven and the new earth are created. They come together and God comes to dwell with men on earth. That was the initial plan. That was the initial plan. Although it's going to be different because it's not going to be the same. And I liked your home comment earlier because are we going back to the Garden of Eden? That wasn't the question. <laughs> Are we going back to the Garden of Eden? No. It's new. That's correct, because what happened to the Garden of Eden? It passed away. It passed away. So there is no more distance physically between heaven and earth. Starting with Revelation 21.1 that Dwayne read. There is no more separation. We live in a separated world. We live physically and we are spiritual beings. And it is going to be flipped around where we are going to be spiritual beings with physical attributes. It is. It's hard to understand, but it will be flipped because we live in a, in a sense now in a physical realm. And that's why we're so stuck in the world. Don't we get all caught up in the things of the world and, and we have emotions, don't we? And we get excited, we cry over things, we have all those things and where we're going, none of that exists. We can't even relate to that, can we? Because we can't, by any imagination understand what God has prepared for us. And yet he says there will be no more. In fact, that is really, um, by definition, what heaven is. The future heaven is a heaven of no mores. There will be no more almost anything that we relate to now. So just pick something. And it will be no more. Okay? Other than robes, there will be robes. There will be more robes. Why? There'd be white ones. <laughs> Maybe purple ones. I'm hoping there's Levi's. I don't know. 
But the thing is, Isaiah 67 or 65, 17, that I know that some of you are already there because you downloaded them in advance, says this, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, back to heavens plural in Isaiah, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. So there's a sense that when the new heavens and the new earth are created and that's where our destination is and God is going to come dwell with us, that we are not going to be remembering nor will those things from earth as they did in the present heaven. Are they going to any longer come to mind? Because you see, at that point, for the first time in God's redemptive plan, there will be no more sin. No more curse. No more what we think of as quote unquote normal in our lives. You see, this is not normal because this is a short period of time. Normal is the new heavens and the new earth. Now, let's deal with the plurality of the heavens. Back to what Scotty was talking about. How big are the heavens and what would the people in the original culture think about when they said, the, like the third heaven, I love that, because Paul was speaking to his constituency group and said, I was caught up to the third heaven. And what do we know that that means? Heaven. What? Heaven, heaven. The heaven, heaven. Yeah. Not terra firma. Not the stars and the moon, because there's way more than the stars and the moon. Right? And we know from science, that's why I can't imagine that every scientist isn't a believer. I just It blows my mind that every scientist isn't a believer. Because you look in the Hubble, and uh, I had a, when I was, when I tried to go back to college in my 30s, and I, and I failed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had a, I had an instructor, a professor in one of my business courses, and, uh, and we got to know each other, and as a business guy, uh, I, got, I got to go to her house, and she was the program manager working on the Hubble telescope on the optics. And she was a brilliant, she was a physicist. And her husband was also a physicist, but he was so far out there and so smart that he had no social skills, you couldn't talk to him. I mean, he was just, he was a brainiac. And, um, and they both worked together on the Hubble telescope. And, and they weren't believers. And I look back on that now and I think, oh my gosh, you're, you're barely even seeing into what God has created. And they'll admit that it's probably infinite. Scientists will admit that it's probably infinite what is out there in terms of the cosmos, if you will. And they think that their explanation for that happening is that a couple of amoebas or something banged together. I don't know. I don't know what their thinking is, but it's craziness. It's craziness. And yet, the new heavens and the new earth come together as one, and we are no longer under the restriction of this sin and this, uh, and this curse that we all have to deal with now. And as a matter of fact, we're going to see in a minute that we are going to be exposed to even the possibility of exploring and traveling there. Now that sounds almost sci-fi, doesn't it? 
Well, that's one reason the this earth has to be destroyed anyway, is because mm-hmm. it's already destroyed by sin. Well, let's take a look at that. So what happens to the old earth? It passes away. That's what you've said. Turn to Matthew 19. There's one key word in the, in the Matthew 19, 27 and 28 passage. So somebody's going to read it and I'd like somebody to blurt out what the key word is relative to the question, what happens to the old earth? The one we're sitting on. I'm looking at Susan, but she's not looking at me. So. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you want me to read it? Would you read 19, 27, and 28, please? Yes, okay. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will be there for us? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. There's a lot going on there, but in relationship to the question about what happens to the old earth, what's the key word? Okay. What happens to the old earth? What happens to the old earth? What happens to the old earth? Passes away in the renewal. That's the key word. I don't care about burning up. I care about renewal. The, key, uh, the question was, what is the key word? So what we're going to look at here is we're going to look at the old earth. Does it go away? Here's what you, This is not what Matthew 19 says. It doesn't say that, that I tell you the truth at the destruction of all things or when I abandon all things or when I completely destroy the earth and create a new one. It says this. It says, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, the word renewal is translated from the word palagensia. And you know what that means? It means specifically coming back from death to life. So so we have a lot of language in Revelation that talks about what happens to the old earth, okay? But the point is not what happens to it, is what is the process. The process is that it will be renewed. That's why I like to say that if you want to get a glimpse into what the new heaven and the new earth is when it comes together, forget your sin-soaked lenses that you're having to look at right now, but walk outside and look at the mountains and, and look at Ernie's last pictures of the sunset from last Thursday morning or two Thursday mornings ago. Um, that is exactly what the new earth is going to look like because the existing earth is going to be renewed, but the splendor is going to be something that is going to be beyond your imagination because God created the earth and he doesn't say that he is going to change it. He says that he is going to renew it. And it's the same language that he uses about your resurrected body. Hmm. So, Murph, your body is going to be made perfect. It is going to be glorified. And I think we have to think in terms of the new earth where heaven and earth come together because earth is going to be heaven. 
It will be cleansed like Jesus cleanses us. And made perfect. And righteousness will dwell there. God will dwell there. The picture that Revelation and Isaiah gives us of the new heavens and the new earth is everything will be made right. It will pass away. The old, the curse will be removed. You see, because as far as we know, there is a curse throughout the cosmos. But it's hard for me to imagine that because I live here. I've not been there. But in a sense, it may be available to us. And we'll see that in a minute. What about the new Jerusalem? Because John said that he saw a new heavens and a new earth. And if we just continue, we won't go there in, in light of time. But then he says that he saw something coming from heaven, coming down from heaven. And then he identified it as something. The New Jerusalem. There's a city that John was able to see coming out of the old heaven. The old heaven that passed away. Ain't nobody going to be there. It's going to be gone. Okay? Because when, when God uh, creates the new heaven and the new earth, and they are joined, and they are physically joined together, there is no separation because that is the culmination of his ultimate redemption plan. Okay, we will come together and there will be this new Jerusalem. In fact, in the Bible, 15 times in Revelation 21 and 22, it calls this place where we are going to live on the new earth a city. We looked at that very briefly last week. 15 times in the last two chapters of the Bible, which is the future, the place where we are going to live is called a city. And then he specifically calls it the New Jerusalem. What do we know about the New Jerusalem, those of you that have read ahead? It's holy. The New Jerusalem is holy. What else do we know about the New Jerusalem? It's huge. It's huge. Okay, we're going to see how big it is in a minute. Shines with the glory of God. The New Jerusalem shines with the glory of God. What else do you remember from your previous reading? There are gates there, 12 of them. They're made out of pearls. How big are they? Big pearls. Must be one heck of an oyster, huh? Well, we've got to take a look at Revelation 21 to get a real good picture of this now. And we've got to understand that John is trying to describe something that is indescribable. Okay? Because Paul went there, didn't have the words to utter it. So Paul is trying to describe something that is indescribable. But the Holy Spirit gives him these words. And he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21. A new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Sorry, no surfboards that I'm aware of. <laughs> then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now that's a metaphoric picture that we see there, that this new Jerusalem, holy and we know that it's going to be even more than holy. It's going to be, it's going to be righteous as well. 
holy and righteous. Okay? Because it will be perfected. It will be perfected. And it is coming down as a bride, at, you know, for, for, the, for, the, for the bridegroom. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will deal with them. He will dwell with them. He will probably deal with them too. But he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear. This is where we get the every tear from your eyes. So God will wipe every tear from their eyes. But the tears are not going to be wiped from our eyes until that time. And so in the present heaven, I hate to keep going back, but in the present heaven, nowhere in scripture does it say that we won't have emotions, that we won't be excitable, that we won't have uh, a lot of, of attributes that we, that we currently have. All it says is that there is not going to be sin. It's very hard to try to comprehend that because we don't understand but the first time that every tear will be wiped and that there will be absolutely no more death, of course there's death when we're in the present heaven. Not in heaven, but where is there still death? On the earth. Okay, this, does it make sense? It starts to make sense. There's the past, the present, and the future. We're talking about the future heaven. And of course there will be no more mourning or crying or pain for all the old order of things have passed away. He's made everything new. The final phase of God's redemptive plan is now in full force and effect. There's no going back. Those that are in heaven are in heaven. That's on earth. Those that are not, where are they? Not a real popular teaching, but a biblical one. Finally, we have full redemption for God's people. You know those martyrs that were saying, God, when? He says, now. The answer is now. At the new heavens, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. He said that he who was seated on the throne, verse 5, I am making everything new. Then he said, write these down. Write this down, John, which he did. For these words are trustworthy and true. Your translation might say something different than trustworthy, but I know they say true. Almost every translation I looked at today said true. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost and the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this and I will be their God and they will be my children. There is that sense of victory, finally. <sighs> See, we know that the devil has lost. He knows he is lost. And it's a timing issue. The martyrs were concerned about time. Huh. They were exhausted waiting for God to avenge their, their deaths for the sake of Christ. And, you know, some of us are tired. I had a conversation with one of uh, my dad's overnight caregiver this morning. And she said, where are you going today? And I said, heaven. And she freaked out. <laughs> You're not going to do something? No, I said, no, really. I'm, I'm putting all my notes together for, um, for Bible study. And, so, and she says, oh, she says, I'm looking forward to heaven too. And her, her husband, by the way, is a pastor. I'm looking for heaven, but not yet. <laughs> and I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. And I said, Raina, you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready now. We're commanded to be ready now. 
I mean, we're victorious. But she was thinking about it from a worldly point of view. Car wreck. I don't want to die in a car wreck. I don't want to leave my grandkids. But what God's word says is, get prepared now. Be excited about where you're going now. Don't live in the world like it has any value to you because it really doesn't from a worldly point of view. See, our best life is not now. I don't care, I don't care what Joel Osteen says. <laughs> our best life is not now. It's not about us. Okay? It's not about us. It's about the Lord. See, we've run the race. The enemy is defeated. And we have inherited this new heaven. And this new earth. The new Jerusalem, however, is our eternal dwelling place. So check this out. John says then, a lot like Paul, verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit. Aha! God carried John away in the spirit. To a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God. John saw from a mountain the new Jerusalem coming down. He was carried away in the spirit. And then he talks about how it shone with the glory of God. In the new heaven and the new earth that are one, the glory of God shines. And then we get this full description about the twelve gates, the twelve angels, the twelve tribes of Israel, the three gates on, on each side. And he begins then to describe the new Jerusalem. Now, how big is the new Jerusalem? Because is the new Jerusalem heaven? That's 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. Okay. <laughs> is it heaven? Ah, that, that's very astute. Steve says that at that point, everything is heaven. Well, not everything. There's one thing that isn't. Hell. <laughs> okay, theologically, you're correct. Everything at that point is heaven. So is the new Jerusalem heaven? Yeah. Is it all of it? No. no, of course not. That's not what the Bible teaches. But we know that it is, uh, well, let's see what it says. The wall of the city had 12, verse 14. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Interesting. The foundations of heaven are named after the apostles. Twelve. 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 We're used to seven in the Bible, aren't we? All of a sudden, in Revelation 21, we're confronted with twelve. God has a thing for twelve, let me tell you. Mm, twelve tribes, twelve gates, twelve... I mean, there's twelve everything here. And so, apparently, the number twelve really matters to God. And it, in the new heaven, that is representative of perfection. Interesting. Because we think of seven. Ah, in the present. But we're not in the present anymore. We're looking at God's word about the new heaven and the new earth. That's the future. Revelation 21 starts the future. We're in the present. And until this happens, that's the future. It also kind of takes you back to where you say build your house on the rock. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Huh? Solid foundation. foundation. Well, these are interesting because the foundations, uh, he talks a lot about the foundation. And then in verse 15, he says, the angel who talked with me, 
Okay, we know about angels talking, don't we? There's angels, yeah. Yeah, of course. We're all talking, we're wearing white robes. It's all good. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. Gold is pretty important in heaven too. Metaphorically and literally. So he had this measuring rod of gold and he measured it. And so he said the city was laid out like a square. As long as it is wide, he measured the city and the rod and found it to be 1,200 stadia, which is somewhere between 1,400 and 1,500. I like 1,500 because it's an easier multiplier for me. <laughs> but it's somewhere between 14 and 1,500 miles. And he says that it's found it to be 1,200 stadia, that's 1,500 miles in length, and as wide and as high as it is long. That is a cube. <laughs> that is a cube. Now, literal? It has to be. It's pretty specific here. Oh. He says he, the, the angel measured these things and he measured it in human terms. We're going to see that in a second. Noah's Ark was measured in human terms. Hmm. I believe it to be very literal. Very literal. And so we have this cube, this city. It's a city. The New Jerusalem coming down. It's 1,500 miles by 15 by 15 by 15. Okay? That's 2.3 million approximately million miles square. But now we have to cube it. Okay? That's just square. So, uh, I got an airplane that has a range. Well, I, I run out of jet fuel at about 1,500 miles, so I, I got to stop before I get there. But, so I got an idea because I go, you know, to the end of my fuel range on a, on a pretty regular basis. I, I know what 1,500 miles is, and I'm just thinking, whoa, dude, that's a long ways. <laughs> um, that's a city, 1,500 miles squared, and then we have to cube it. And so, if we cube it, what happens? Well, it's got to go 1,400 miles high. So, now I don't know what a cube city looks like because I deal with flat cities. But I know, because everything has to be an airplane analogy for me, as you know. Uh, airplanes fly at, I mean the big ones, the big boys, they fly between 35 and 40,000 feet. Okay? Well, 40,000 feet is 7.7 .7 miles. <laughs> the Earth's atmosphere is 62 miles. Okay, so you can't breathe no more. Well, you can't hardly breathe at, at 42,000 either. But, um, but there is no atmosphere, so we're weightless at 62 miles. Hmm. Floating around. And at 1,500 miles high is, is 24 times higher than the Earth's atmosphere. <laughs> it's a really if there's gravity if there's gravity it's not going to fit on the earth yeah a skydive you'd have to take um, a, a, not a parachute you'd have to take a backpack it'd take a while for you to get down okay 1500 miles high now let's say I didn't do these calculations, and I tried to figure it out on my calculator, but I, I'm not smart enough to do this. So I had to take somebody who I trust, who I was reading last week. I had to take their word for it, and I actually had a chart, 
and I had technical difficulties because I had this chart that was awesome and I, I couldn't pull it off. So maybe I'll be able to figure out how to do that. Um, I'm not very computer uh, literate when it comes to trying to do graphic stuff. But, um, but here's the thing. If you assume that we are going to live in the city, God, that is going to be the center of everything. This city that is 1,500 miles cubed. It'll be the, it doesn't say that, that, that we're walled in there. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that in just a second. It says it is going to be the center of righteousness and holiness. <coughs> and it is going to be very transparent. Meaning that the, the streets in this place, there'll be lots of them. They'll be stacked on top of one another. Because it's so tall. And so if we take a look at each floor of the city, for example, let's just say that they were like 25 feet tall, because we need room, okay? Especially as Americans, we like room. Okay, so let's say each floor is like of this city um, is 25 feet tall, and we have, we have two point, almost 2.3 million square miles uh, in, this, in this cube, and now we've got to go up 1,400 miles uh, high, uh, and and let's say, how many, how many people do you think are going to be in heaven? Not as many people that will fit in that huge. Well, with, with 25 foot room, <laughs> we're going to live there. It's going to be a place to live. And if we're going to live there, <clears throat> Mike, you did some calculations. Well, you know, you said it's 2.3 million or 2.3 million miles. Just square miles. Square. Yeah. It's 3.3. Four billion miles total. Okay, how three point what? Three point four billion. Okay, three. It's really hard. That's to, unbelievable. It's, it's hard to wrap my brain around that. But but let's put it this way: if there were fifty billion people in heaven, in the New Jerusalem, which is just the city, the central part, that's where that's where we're going to live in this city. There's going to be a lot of activity in this place. If 50 billion people lived there, God said, Jesus, when he left, he said, I go and I prepare a place for you. Now, Revelation 21 gives us an idea of how big this place. This is just the city of the New Jerusalem. This is not the, new, this is not the heavens that we're going to have access to. Okay. This is just the New Jerusalem that he saw coming out of heaven that God created. And he's going to plop it somehow. Now, some people believe it's going to be kind of hovering above this earth, and some people believe it's going to be a part of it, and it, does, it doesn't really matter because we're not really told, to be honest with you. It, we're not told. We just know it's going to be heaven. And if there are 50 billion people there, each one of us will have a room in this city about four to five square miles in size for each of the 50 billion people. Now, if 100 billion people are there, which is about... If, if some people believe <clears throat> that um, there have been uh, uh, estimates anyway that so far roughly 100 billion people have lived on the earth. I don't know where they came up with that number. I don't have a clue where they came up with that number. And I don't know if there's going to be 50 billion people in heaven or 50 million people in heaven. Okay? That's too many. <laughs> but if there's 50 billion, there's how many people on the planet today? Seven million. Billion, not million. That's L.A. Okay, seven (laughs) million people. So if there's 50 billion people in heaven, I don't know, it seems like a lot to me, but if there's 50 billion people, um, you know, dude, that's going to be a nice big room. My pad's going to have four square miles. 
Yeah, I, 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 the vacuum cleaners are going to have to be huge. <laughs> They're going to look like street sweepers, aren't they? <laughs> the point of it is that there is this cube city called the New Jerusalem that, that, that God's word calls the, the religious, if you will, center of the universe. Okay, And God is going to walk with his people in heaven. And heaven is everything. And the city is there, and there's going to be activity in this city, and we're going to see this starting next week. What are the things that we're going to do there, and what is it going to look like? Well, it's very descriptive what it's going to look like. It says that everything is transparent. In fact, the walls are made out of jasper. The city is pure gold, as pure as glass. And then Revelation talks about it being not only shiny. What else does it say? It's transparent. And then it even talks about, and you know what? Because we can't grasp it. Remember, John is trying to describe what he's seeing that's almost indescribable. But he's trying to put it in terms that we can quasi-relate to. This is a massive, massive place that we're going to live. But it's not just... It is not... Uh, how many billion square miles? 3.4. It's not 3.4 billion square miles that is, that is heaven. It's 3.4 billion square miles of the city of the New Jerusalem, which is the, which is the center of the universe. That's where we're going to hang out, but it, we're not going to be walled in there because look at this. It says that not only are the foundations of the walls decorated with every kind of precious stone. Now, I don't know if that's literal, quite honestly. The, the point is, is that the beauty of this place is unimaginable to us. So he has to describe it in terms of jewels that we would be used to, like diamonds. And colors. And colors. And transparency. And the glory of God that lights the place. Because it says there's no moon and there's no sun. Because it's not necessary. Because the glory... Now that's going to be... I think we ought to do a study on the glory of God. Because if the glory of God can light up heaven, if we understood that, there isn't the person in this room that wouldn't be on their face in awe of God. But we, we're not on our face right now because I can't grasp that. I don't know what a heaven that is lit by the glory of God looks like. And John's trying to describe this. <coughs> These gates, he says in verse 21, were made out of a single pearl. Now, does God need an oyster to make a pearl? Of course not. He made the oysters. <laughs> he could make a pearl big enough for the gate. There's 12 gates. And then it says that there's no temple. But before that, it says that the gates never close. In the city of the new Jerusalem, where we are in the new heaven, where everything is made perfect and all the old has gone away and there is no more sin and every relationship is perfect and we will be doing all kinds of stuff that we're going to be starting to take a look at next week. It says that the gates never close. And in fact, in this 3.4 billion square miles of city, cubed miles of city, um, these gates have. It, there's a wall. You don't. You don't need gates if you don't have a wall. In fact, it says that the wall is interestingly um, in human measurement, uh, two hundred uh, roughly, two hundred and fifteen feet thick. 
Now that's a big wall. It's 215 feet thick, and it's 14 miles, 1400 miles high, or 1500 miles high, and, and, and so it goes around the entire city. And cities were built that way in the past. Why? For security. But the gates never closed. Why? Because we don't need any security. We're already protected. Everything that we're afraid of here is gone. It is wide open. The city gates never close because God allows ingress and egress from this gigantic place where everything that we need is there. In fact, next week we're going to take a look at some scripture that alludes to the fact that when we eat, because you ever thought about that? Everybody always goes, what are we going to eat in heaven? Because, <laughs> dude, I really love a nice barbecued steak. You know? But there's no death, so can I kill a cow? I mean, I love those kinds of... Those are interesting questions. And yet, we're going to see next week, just a, little, just a little trailer for next week, that when we eat in heaven, it won't be because we need to. It's going to be because it is pleasurable. <laughs> well, I don't need to for about three months. <laughs> well, you talk about how big the city is. Just think that city's not even big enough to house God. He couldn't even get in there. And the point is, he does. <clears throat> and the point is, is that in God's final plan, for redemption, he dwells with us. And it's not like we have to go see him. His glory is manifest throughout the entirety of all of his created new heaven and new earth. Well, you know, in Genesis it says, remember, he walked in the garden. Yeah. He was looking for Adam and Eve. So he, he, can, he can be both huge and, and he can occupy little space or massive. So He's anywhere. Amen. Yeah. And everywhere. God will not lose his attributes. He will be omnipresent. And you see, we understand that spiritually right now in the physical realm. But that's going to be reversed. Oh, and it's going to be an entirely different view of God when we are in heaven. Because we will be spiritual beings with physical properties as opposed to the other way around. And so God will reveal himself to us. Very much like he did walking in the cool of the day. How do you think, how are Ooh. we going to find our mothers in such a massive place? I don't know. <laughs> if there's going to be so, so many levels of people and everything, how are we going to... Well, you know why it's confusing? Because we think about it in human terms right now. But we're not going to be that way. We're not only going to recognize each other by because of who we are, which is hard to grasp. Can I say one more thing? Sure. I remember in that time when my mother appeared mm -hmm. that she had on her white shorts and beautiful Mexican blouse, and she was younger. She mm -hmm. wasn't like she was when she died. And I had never thought of that until we... God revealed that to you through the she pages of Scripture. She wasn't all old like when she died. That's awesome. <laughs> I had never thought of that before. That's she awesome. She was beautiful and young. As, uh, she you wanted know, me to recognize her when she was young and to show me that she was happy. And she only stayed for a half a second. <laughs> just 
that she was happy and then she disappeared. Well, you know, we have an attorney there, so yeah. it's not yeah. like we will not I mean, be in a hurry. No, we're going to find out who's there. We're going to know, you know, we're going to see yeah. everybody that's there. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. All you've got to do is think about like it, and there you are. And, and in, a, in a sense, and we're going to take a look at what do we do and what will our daily lives be like. And I, and I think that the types of questions that we're going to be answering next are really practical questions that's that the Bible has something to say. To like, I, like I prefaced, you know, what are we going to eat? Because that's, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's important to me. And so, um, and so, what, 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 what do we what do we do there? Um, because you know, we've heard people say that it's going to be kind of boring, and I, I, you know what? I'll tell you what's going to be boring is not being there. That's what's going to be boring. And yet, and and yet, ultimately, we have to look at how we orient ourselves to heaven. Okay. And so, this the next the next couple of weeks, we are going to take a look at orienting ourselves to life in the future heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, because. Believe it or not, God's Word has a lot to say about things like eating and drinking and sleeping and animals and how we relate to each other, what our relationships are going to be like, God and one another. And it's quite specific, and yet we're still only given just a little bit. And we're given lots more information about the new heaven, singular, and the new earth, because it's not plural, it becomes one, than we are about the present heaven. And I believe it to be, and I can't support this any other way than just my own study, I believe it to be because that's our home. That is eternity. And the present heaven is not. Amen? Mm -hmm. All right, let's pray.